Oh, good morning, church. Um, such a privilege to worship. Um, however it looks at the moment, it's uh, just such a joy to be able to um, worship our King, whether we're together or whether we're together separately in our homes. Um, it's uh, just a blessing and a privilege to do that. And uh, we had such a great time. Um, just wanted to say hello and also just uh, thank you guys for uh, everything that you're doing in this time, that, uh, in staying in touch with each other, ringing each other, um, praying for each other. Uh, I would encourage you as we get further through this season that uh, not to let that go, not to let that slide, that uh, it's really important that we stay connected. And uh, we have all kinds of wonderful technology that we can use to do that, so I encourage you to embrace all of that. But uh, just wanted to say thanks and... Um, uh, yeah, encourage you to keep it up. Um, we're doing well. And we're almost there. It won't be long. Um, today we have the privilege of um, Paul and Louise Egar sharing with us. Um, they've got a great story to tell. <laughs> and, uh, so they're going to tag team it a bit this morning. And I will hand over to them now. Thanks, Tim. Well, welcome everybody to this week's message. Uh, Louise and I just want to say thanks particularly to Russ and Mary and the leadership team for providing this opportunity for us to share what we think is a really important message and we hope will be really encouraging to everybody. Uh, it's going to be delivered a little bit uh, differently to what you're used to, so we hope you enjoy this, uh, this style of uh, preaching. So what we want to do today is share a little bit with you about what faith looks like and uh, what faith in action in particular looks like and how through faith we can go from a place of fear to a place of peace. And uh, we've titled this message today, In Our Faith and Peace, God Restores. So let's begin in prayer. Father, we thank you that you are an awesome God who does all things for our good, even when we don't see it at first. As you speak through us today, we pray that those who are watching and listening would be ready in their hearts and minds to hearing your word and that it will bring hope in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So we know that uh, many of you uh, have faced some significant struggles and Louise and I too have uh, faced our own struggles. And uh, what I'd like to do is start off with uh, a bit of the word. And many of you would be familiar with the story of the foretelling of the birth of Jesus, which can be found in Luke and also in Matthew. But for today, I'm going to look at Luke 1. And in Luke 1, in chapter 1, we're told that the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary. And uh, he told her that she was greatly favoured by God and that she was going to have a son. Now, Mary was troubled by this, as anybody would, if we think about it, Mary was about 16 years of age, so it was a lot to take in. The angel told her not to be afraid. Now Mary found herself in a countercultural position. If you think back 2,000 years, uh, someone falling pregnant out of wedlock uh, would have been seen as being just the worst of the worst and unclean. And people then who were unclean were shunned by society. To embrace God's plan for her to have a baby, uh, she would have been faced with suspicion and absolute shame and she would have had to carry that with her family for the rest of their lives. It would also cause her untold pain as she would witness the death of her son in the most horrible of circumstances. But more importantly, Mary would be placing herself 
first and foremost at the front and centre between good and evil. But the thing we hear from Mary next is just incredible and shows her faith. She says in verse 38, I am the Lord's servant, may it be to me as you have said. What a powerful statement of faith. Her response is an example to us all that no matter what the obstacle, the cost or the danger, we would do well to make her words our own personal declaration. Now, as I said before, you don't get to our stage in life without having faced some pretty significant challenges. And we know that you too are facing challenges. And in these times, you may have wondered where God is. But what we know to be true and have learnt through faith, as Mark 10, 27 says, with God, all things are possible. The story Louise is going to share with you now is without doubt the greatest challenge we have faced. It's a journey neither of us had planned, expected or wanted. But as Paul reminds us in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And it's at this point I'd like to pass over to Louise as she shares the first part of that journey in faith and peace. Thanks, Annie. Well, hi, everyone. Um, I've had to get my brave on to allow myself to share with you today and be vulnerable. Um, And I'd like to take you just on a journey that I've had with God through my life. Um, And specifically, I want to share about my relationship with God before, during, after two significant but not unrelated events. And in that, how he revealed his character to me. Um, so it's, it's uh, I'm, I'm not a quick learner, it's taken me 21 years to kind of get the lesson that God had for me, to sort the wheat from the chaff. But recently I've sifted through, I've had cause to sift through, and I've reflected on some extraordinary events, and I can clearly see where God's been working in me and on me. And I'm willing to confess that the root of my conflict from, with God was from the start all about control, namely my unwillingness to give up control over my life (laughs) to our gracious God and his patient, kind, encouraging ways by which he loved me and guided me through some difficult circumstances. And there's no right or wrong pathway through crisis. Uh, What I'm sharing with you today is just how things were for me. And my prayer is that God will reach you in any way and uh, that he needs to through my story and that you will be encouraged. So, as I said, 21 years. So, 1998, yes, we're old. Uh, Paul and I were happily married, two gorgeous girls, um, 10 and 12. We were living in Sydney and feeling pretty good about life. We, We had a good life. We felt we were ticking all the boxes and uh, we were happy. We had healthy children, loving family, great friends, good careers, great church, delivering comfortable messages, good people, and we were living a nice Christian life. We were pretty happy. There were no speed bumps, no conflicts, and no challenges. We were happy in our bubble. It wasn't a COVID-19 bubble. We were just our bubble. But this uh, like little house on the prairie existence changed in October of that year. I'd just turned 37 and I was diagnosed with invasive breast cancer. 
And we were, of course, in shock. It was like the, what followed was a whirlwind of weeks um, of, you know, doctor's appointments, surgery, pathology, uh, anyone who's been down that road, and many have you, of you have, I know, know what that looks like. Uh, at the, the result of all that was it was clear I needed uh, extensive chemotherapy, radiation treatment. And I was told that because I was young, I realised how young I was then, at the time I didn't feel so young, um, but I was told that because I was young, I could withstand the harsh drugs and the extensive radiation treatment and it was no dress rehearsal, there was no act two. So they were giving it to me full, full bore. And really, so began a year of my life that still today is quite hazy. It's kind of time was lost. And I think that, that is um, the same for a lot of people that I've spoken with. Um, you know, months of chemo, radiation commenced, and in, in a nutshell, it wasn't a good year. Uh, the hair loss was swift and extreme. I, I was surrounded by love, and I knew that, but I was like a meerkat. I couldn't relax, and I couldn't let go, and I couldn't let God. There was time away from work. That was all arranged. The wig was bought. The girls went back to school. Paul went back to work, and somehow, as families do... We all settled into a new year that many of you um, are familiar with, as I say, dictated by appointments and checkups and scans and tests and all that sort of thing. Uh, for the, it was at this stage that I found myself for the first time in my life alone, in isolation, day after day, week after week. And just to set the scene, in, in the 90s, this was a time there was no pink anything. Um, there's no Kylie Minogue or Angelina. I know they've done great things, but they weren't, they weren't there then. There were no fundraising fun runs. If you dressed in pink, people probably just thought you were happy. You know, there was, no, uh, there was no, none of that, and thankfully that all came, because breast cancer in the 1990s was still very much a very softly whispered uh, diagnosis. And it was scary. Anyway, it was during these endless days which forced me to confront myself and my predicament. And I decided to talk to God. It's a bit of a novel idea. <laughs> uh, I was about four weeks into chemo treatment and I was at home alone, you know, girls at school, Paul at work, life goes on. And I started chatting to God and the chatter soon escalated to a louder, fiercer tone that surprised even myself. And... And as it escalated, it sort of developed into this one-way conversation where my fear and anger became like an accusatory tone to God. And in no uncertain terms, I started telling him I didn't think too much of his plan. <laughs> he hadn't checked that with me because if he had, I would have made some big changes. Not even suggested, I just would have made the changes. All about control. I, I couldn't understand what he was thinking. You know, didn't he realise I had two little girls who needed their mother? I think I called him crazy more than once and I remember as my fear and anger surfaced and the volume of my voice even surprised me, as I said, tears covered my face and I railed and vented at God 
and told him I wanted control back. And it was then, and only then, that for the first time in my life I heard the voice of God. It was clear, it was full of love. And he said, that's my girl. That's who I created you to be. The warrior that I'd always felt inside but so often suppressed was his creation in me and I knew it. I knew it in that moment. There was no part of me that was broken or wrong or imperfect or not worthy or too loud or too confrontational. I knew by God's words that I was absolutely unequivocally created just as he designed me and I was everything I needed to be. So this is the day my relationship with God really changed and I began to walk with him in in partnership and in a very different relationship. Um, So I stepped up in in confidence and I started asking questions, challenging some doctor's decisions as necessary, investigating things which didn't make sense to me, you know, at a young age wondering why cancer had visited our family, not just myself, but it's like, well, what's all this about? Um, And through God opening the door for me to see myself as he saw me, my character strengthened and by the end of treatment, God and I were in a pretty deep, enriched relationship. Um, We went to various retreats. Uh, Paul and I did the walk to Emmaus, which was uh, fabulous, and Paul felt a call to ministry during that time. Um, And so the year 1998 was life-changing for both of us. Um, So moving on, with his love, I recovered, returned to work. The girls grew up. My hair grew back. Paul's didn't. That was sad. (laughs) Um, We changed churches. We went from... um, We we hadn't found in our church a home particularly and uh, found a little superficial. So um, we ended up in a very small cafe-style church that met uh, on a Sunday afternoon locally with such good people. They met in a coffee shop and they were faith-filled people and they were sincere in their love of God and, uh, and his people. And my understanding of God's character continued to grow. And I also became involved in the first year of um, genetic testing in research in Australia, uh, testing for genetic faults linked to breast cancer. And after some 18 months of waiting for those results, um, I was advised that I did indeed carry the BRCA2 gene fault. And um, what basically, in a nutshell, it put me at a whole-of-life risk of 85% of breast cancer and very high risk for other cancers. And consequently, I had some further surgery to um, try and limit the risk of ovarian cancer. And so after all that, then, you know, the doctors will give you a management plan and do this, do this, do this see you in six months, 12 months, every year, have the mammograms, have the ultrasounds, have the checks. We'll see what happens. And I know a lot of you know that path. So you take a deep breath and you think, well, you know, five-year mark, all that. We, we did think we'd ridden the big wave. We thought, well, I suppose in life you get one bump, big bump, we've had it, we're young, onward. We felt that our family had all emerged with a better understanding and being better educated about risks, treatment, everything to do with cancer. And perhaps that was a benefit to our extended family. Um, 
I remember thinking perhaps that was the whole point of my illness so that the next generation would be better informed and better equipped and wouldn't ever walk down you know, this path. Who knows? As the years passed, we relaxed and continued uh, to walk with God solidly. We embedded ourselves in good churches. Our girls became adults living uh, full, faith-filled lives. Um, to their credit, they decided to test for the genetic fault and thankfully they did not carry it. So that was... Merciful, it was wonderful. And during these years, God's, uh, Paul's call to ministry um, consumed him, and so he started his theological degree, which he has now completed. <laughs> it was tremendous. So it really did change our lives a lot. Um, so over the years of monitoring and surveillance of my condition, there were a couple of hiccups which led me to press into God even more. And in my vulnerable human state, these hiccups sent me skyrocketing in fear, just every time, every time. And God would have to rescue me every time. It happened again and again as I took my eyes off God and I tried to control my life, manage everything myself. It was the meerkat scenario again. What's going on? What's going on? What can I balance? What can I change? I was always on watch. I was trying to anticipate every move and preempt it so I could stay one step ahead of cancer. It was exhausting, and it actually is impossible. I know that now. Anyway. But the memory and the pain of, uh, of the whole experience um, and the, the pain that it caused my family has always hung very heavily with me. I think to be a partner, a parent or a child of someone with cancer is hard, and to be the reason for the sorrow is pretty unbearable. I never wanted to go through that experience again and I never wanted Paul or the girls to go through it again. So the medical advice was clear and the best way to minimise my risk of developing another cancer was by removing both breasts. So I prayed about it for many months, probably a couple of years actually, <laughs> but it never left me and I knew that that was the, the thing that they recommended to do. Paul and I talked about it and he was, as is, always supportive, as are the girls. So in recent times I took a deep breath and following in the footsteps of some very brave women in my family, met with doctors in Sydney late last year, some 21 years after uh, my cancer, um, and discussed risk-reducing bilateral mastectomy surgery, made all the plans to have the surgery in February this year. I had all my ducks in the row. I was in control again. I was happy. It was very important to me to choose who, what, when, why, get that control back. And all was well. I'll just pass back to Paul. Thanks, honey. One of the um, things that Louise spoke about was the time at home on her own. And when she found herself raising her voice to God. Well, let me tell you, she didn't just raise her voice at God. She argued with him, had screaming matches with him. And i got to say, some people um, have said, how can you argue with God? Why would you do that? But you know, Isaiah 41 verse 21 tells us, present your case, says the Lord, set forth your arguments, says Jacob's king. So I think there's a real case for arguing with God. He'll listen to you. And there are many examples of the Bible 
where that's happened. But moving on, over the last month or so, um, I felt drawn to study Job. And any of you who know the story of Job know that um, Satan goes with the angels and meets with God. And uh, Satan says to God, well, you know, you're protecting humanity. They're all good. And so God says, well, you know, go on, do what you want to do. He comes back and uh, Job says to God, well, it's all good, but... And God says to Job, well, sorry, says to Satan, have you met my servant Job? What about him? So from that point on, that's when Job's problems started. Uh, Job, through Satan impacting him, lost his wealth. He struggled with disease and illness, but he never lost his faith. And one of the things while I was reading Job that really struck me about his journey was that he never really seemed to find peace. He talked about it, but I don't think he found it. And in chapter 3, verse 26 of the book of Job, he says, I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest, but only turmoil. One of the things that I also discovered in looking at Job was that some of his friends argued with him as well and tried to steer him away from God. And in fact, one of them said to him that his hardship was brought about because of his own sin. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't believe that God brings sin on people and he doesn't cause hardship. And I think that's one of the reasons why it's very important when you have a word for somebody to seek wise counsel first to make sure that what you're going to tell that person is from God. With that, I'd like to pass back to Louise to go into the second part of this incredible journey. Thanks, honey. Okay, so all my ducks were in a row. I was set. Uh, and then we had a holiday planned. Thanks. Got some water. Um, so this is June last year, and when I reflected, I think I was perhaps in, in danger of becoming a bit comfortable again, feeling safe and, and not seeking to be challenged by God or stretched. It's always a bit scary, but it's important to do. Um, I was on a missions trip um, last June, July, that Paul and I were in Arnhem Land, and God showed up again to reveal to me his grace and mercy and strength and love in a big way. And God can find you anywhere, in a very remote community, Man and Greta, in Arnhem Land, where I thought I was well away from God, God's attention. But it was during prayer, um, just on a particular day, that I experienced a very real feeling of God's presence <clears throat> by having enormous pearl-white wings I clearly felt them bolted to my back, either side of my spine, at my chest level. I felt my arms involuntary, involuntarily rise upwards and slowly, um, as if carrying the majesty of God's glory in these eagle-like wings. It was a surreal experience. 
a God moment which I will forever treasure. At the time, it was terrifying, actually. Um, I'd, I'd never had any experience like that. Um, and the burden, the physical burden of standing with my arms outstretched, holding the weight of the, these bolted wings, was immense. It was physically hard to keep my arms up. And yet I couldn't. I couldn't not put them up and I couldn't put them down. I was, it, it was amazing. Um, it pulled at the muscles in my chest wall and I was in awe of God. But I had questions, because that's me. I have questions like, what are you doing here, God? What are you showing me? Now, I didn't share my wing story uh, with many, and now I've told many, <laughs> but I'm braver now. But I didn't share it with many. I guarded my heart, and as Paul was referring to, I sought wise counsel. I knew it was, I knew it was from God, and I knew it was important, and I knew there were only wise people I, that God wanted me to hear from, too. And, and, and they, you know, I sought this, and they were faithful people with whom I shared so they could encourage me. And they did encourage me to pray about it and to ask God what he was trying to reveal to me. So I did. And he did. And his purpose recently came into full focus and it was not what I had imagined. Um, so that was June and then weirdly in November, I followed my intuition and I cancelled all my appointments in Sydney with the doctors and the tentative dates for the risk-reducing surgery. It was a little crazy but I, I had to follow my intuition. It would take me months to make those appointments flying up, flying back from Tasmania, but I felt to do it. Um, and instead, I made appointments locally, close to home, in Launceston, with a breast surgeon and a plastic surgeon. And at the time I made the appointments, um, it was October, November, I couldn't even get in to see them until February, which was the initial date I was looking at having this risk-reducing surgery. So I was pretty happy. I thought I'd got all my ducks in a row again. That was good. Everything was working out. Uh, I like to think of my intuition as, as the quiet voice of God whispering to my soul. And I always follow my intuition. It rarely makes sense, which probably means, it, well, it does definitely means it is from God, it's not me. It's a, in the end, it always makes sense. Um, so in mid-January, I had my final mammogram before I saw the doctors in February. Uh, years of mammograms, and then I'd be done, I'd be ready. Hold on a minute. Follow-up phone call. Biopsy requested. It wasn't my plan. What, what is happening? With 21 years, I was cancer-free. I'm booked in to have this chosen surgery. And now my world's spinning. And I think when you, you receive a phone call, and many of you would have, especially 8 o'clock at night from a specialist you know it's not, not going to be good news. You know, Louise, you have a new breast cancer. It's invasive. I need to see you tomorrow. Well, there's your world. I must confess, in, the days, in those days, testing, further scans, appointments, all those things, I did feel a little wobbly and things again were out of control. So where was I with God now? 
I didn't understand this. And in my humanness, I, I was scared, so, but I had to press in to his grace and love. In the moment we heard the diagnosis, I immediately chose to surrender all my fear and control to God. I think I just gave up. I don't think it was a fully faith-filled moment. I just knew I was a big scaredy cat. It was too hard. I couldn't do it anymore. Um, so perhaps the better term is I chose to give it all over to God. I knew I didn't have the strength to battle this. I was exhausted from monitoring myself and planning everything and controlling all my outcomes, and I was done. So it was God's problem now, and my only thought was a pretty relaxed thought of, hmm, well, this is interesting, God. I don't know what you're up to, but it's your problem. And God reminded me in that moment, or reminded us, he was very present. Um, you know, Paul lovingly assured me that we'd step through this together, and we both felt, at, at that phone call from the specialist with the news, we both felt a tangible piece of God right there at the kitchen table. He'll just meet you anywhere. Um, I also understood, which I probably didn't understand the first time this all happened, I understood the warrior woman within me, the, the strength that God had placed within me. And um, I knew that that would aid my attitude and recovery. Uh, he created me and I was beautifully and wonderfully made and it was okay to be me and it was important to let God be God. There were a few tears um, I shared when we shared the news with our daughters, but it was their grief which upset me, not fear. So what did God do and how did God show up then? This is February, just three months ago. Well, in the days waiting for surgery, God reminded me again to keep wise counsel. So I fixed my eyes on him and I kept focus on him and I shielded myself, shielded myself from the world and from the bustle and from... Facebook and the whole echelon of the busyness of life and I just kept sort of tunnel focused. I surrounded myself with encouraging words and the love of family and close friends and we told few people, uh, in fact, Paul, I didn't really tell anyone, Paul, I asked Paul to phone a few people, obviously family and a few close friends, but I just wanted to, to stay in God's focus. I wanted to be in alignment. Um, and, you know, what else did God do? He took control of the situation and to our amazement, within days, we had um, the offer of surgery, I think it was a two-week wait, which to have a plastic surgeon and a breast surgeon align their diaries, have a theatre available, because they're already booked up with people. Um, it all happened and it was like nothing to do now, just it, it was amazing and that, that was God. That's something that um, we cannot orchestrate in the medico system. So on the 20th of February this year, I had the cancer removed via a bilateral mastectomy. And God was with me through it. I have to tell you, I felt no pain. How is that possible? To date, I have felt no pain. So that has to be God. Um, other ways that God was tangibly there he kept my eyes focused on him he showed me the beauty in his creation just in in the outdoor uh, parklands I was encouraged by the doctor to 
go for a walk gently with Paul during the days I was in hospital. So, uh, you know, we met um, immediate family, had coffee, a bit of lunch, the sunshine. It was beautiful weather in February here. Um, and, you know, I heard the laughter and felt the gentle hugs of my grandchildren. And I've got to say, and I've said it to the specialists, the surgeons since, my hospital stay was like a holiday. Well, now, that's God. <laughs> you know, no one, no one will tell you that. God blindsided me with his goodness and mercy in every way. And before leaving hospital, we received the incredible news that I was cancer-free. My lymph nodes were clear. <laughs> and uh, I should, I should, the words, quote, I should consider myself cured of this cancer and I should never have breast cancer again. Hallelujah. But what was God doing here? And what about those wings? With the turmoil of everything that had happened, I had forgotten about the wings. It had been probably six or seven months. And then it began to dawn on me. As you do post-surgery, I've had to practice slowly all my exercises, moving my arms upwards and outwards, forwards, turning, stretching, to heal the chest wall muscles. It pulls, it's hard, it stretches me, literally. And it's sort of one arm at a time and you build up. And one day, about um, eight weeks post-surgery, as I stood, raising both arms outwards and upwards, I felt the pull of my chest muscles and the weight of my arms right through my back. And I felt my wigs. And I'm just like, oh, okay, God, he's clever. <laughs> Uh, as I stood there with God's love revealed, I realised he'd prepared this path for me. He had control, had orchestrated the perfect plan. And as I stood in this very position with my arms outstretched, crying, I finally understood that God had given me, why God had given me the experience of wings that aha moment, and that our gracious Lord had always been with me every step of the way and was with me now, back in my kitchen. Um, and I was reminded of the verse, um, Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And he knew my inner strength and determination because he had created me this way. Now, every day when I practice Pilates and I do my arm exercises, I'm reminded of his love. I'm reminded of his love for us all and his promises. He works all things for our good. And whatever happens now in my life, I am content that it's not my plan. I'm very happy it's not my plan. It's not in my timing and not according to me. Once I allowed him to be fully in control of my life, fear and sorrow were replaced with peace and love. And, you know, I know there's no guarantee in this life that there's no hardship, no pain, but with Christ, you're never alone. And I encourage you to seek God in all your circumstances, to rest in his goodness, to talk to him, maybe shout at him, don't have to. He knows you. He already knows you. 
Spend time listening for his voice so that you can get to know him better. His plan for your life is far better than any plan you could ever dream up for yourself. Give it all to God and let his peace and love envelop you. And I confess now that after 21 years of trying to control and monitor everything, I'm done. It's finished. He completed my journey. I do not define myself as a cancer survivor twice over. Instead, I find joy in the fact that God is in control of my life. He's in the front seat. I'm buckled up in the back. It's just how it should be. It's taken me nearly a lifetime, but I understand it now. But when I look at myself in the mirror, I can only see diamonds and pearls of God's creation. I do not feel I have lost my breasts. Instead, I know that God has exchanged my breasts for wings. And I like my wings. <laughs> and I feel abundantly blessed. I'll just hand back to Paul. Thanks, honey. What an incredible journey our family's been on. Um, Louise spoke about the tangible presence of God and for both of us, we felt that from that very moment that night and still feel it. You know, in the book of Samuel, King David faced some huge challenges, but unlike Job and just like Louise, he found a tangible presence and the peace of our Lord is described in Psalm 23, which I'm just going to read. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me by quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's peace. That's peace in God. What an incredible promise that there is for all of us to receive. All we need to do is to ask God. In Isaiah 40, verse 31, the Bible tells us, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on eagles' wings. They will run, or in Louise's case, do Pilates, <laughs> and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. As someone told Louise recently, trusting God is a choice, and you have to choose to trust God, whatever his will is. Louise and I have learned you have to let your heart give in to God. In our humanness, we want to be in control. God is big, but we try to control him instead of allowing him to be who he is. So if you're struggling, don't be afraid to bring your case before God. He'll listen. Above all, know that just like Mary, God is walking the journey with you. And that just as King David found peace, you too will find peace if you let your heart give in to God. Now if you don't know Jesus and need prayer, please contact the church. There will be someone here for you. Please, please pray with me this prayer. Thank you God that you are true to your promises 
and that you are always there for me no matter what. Help me to put my trust in you and to help me through my struggles, to walk with me and to bring me a sense of peace that only you can bring. And may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard my heart and my mind in Jesus Christ. Amen.